Welcome to Light It Up, a podcast about resilient women balancing motherhood, their careers, personal lives, and all of the challenges that come along with being a superwoman. Each week, you'll be motivated to take action to lead, inspire, transform, and empower. Now, here's your host, Dr. Regina Mashira. Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Light It Up. I am your host, Dr. Ajina Mashira, and today is a very special bonus episode of Light It Up. As you all know, the last couple of series, I've had Black men on the podcast, and I've decided that since it is Father's Day um, and Father's Day weekend, that I wanted to have another Black man on the podcast. And what better guest than to have my biological brother, Jamil Muhammad. So welcome to Light It Up. Thank you for having me. So I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, fatherhood, um, your experience. Um, as you know, this is probably, well, it's a bittersweet um, interview because it's our first Father's Day without our father, Manir Muhammad, being present. Um, so uh, first, um, I guess I want to kind of touch upon your experience uh, growing up and the importance of having your father in your life because so often we know of so many people who didn't grow up um, with their father. and just want to talk about how um, his parenting has shaped and molded you to be the man that you are today. You are a father of three adult children now. So <laughs> if you could just uh, kind of touch upon some of your experiences and the lessons learned. Well, first of all, thank you again for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course, this is our first Father's Day without um, our father present. So of course it invokes um, a lot of thoughts and memories. And so when you ask what, um, just my reflection of the importance of fatherhood and growing up with um, my father in the home, as we see now, many in our community um, can't say that or haven't had that blessing. Um, it, the example of the model behavior, I think is so important. And I think the overall balance, um, as you know, our father was, uh, very serious in terms of preparing us, uh, for things in the world, preparing us how to function. And, but he balanced that with, uh, a sense of humor, but there was accountability. And so, if anything, uh, people tell me I have a complex personality, um, and I, I think that uh, that probably mirrors our father. You know, he could wear a lot of different hats. And um, I think that seeing um, the, the passion, the drive that he had, and how he uh, would protect the family, um, try to preserve, you know, at all costs, it really 
taught me more about the role of a man and in a given purpose as far as um, a father. Um, you know, a lot of things in reflection as you get older that, you know, he kind of took for granted. Uh, for the longest, he dropped um, me office, took me to school, picked me up, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and just wanting to be there and be present. All uh, the conversations uh, from riding in the car with him on Saturdays to the west side of Chicago or when he was, whatever he was doing, just being present. And he looked at everything as a teachable moment. So all of that was poured into me and it taught me how to listen, um, how to observe others. And um, it, it really did a lot in shaping me for who I am. And I like to um, say, even in my own life um, as an adult, I think that the blessings began to accelerate um, when I had a family and um, had my own children because it gave greater purpose. And many times a man will do for his family what he wouldn't ordinarily do for himself. The motivation and desire to um, protect, elevate, provide, and most of all secure um, is, is just something inherently that's uh, in me and it was instilled by our father. Yeah, I um, when you talked about <clears throat> the rides in the car, and it reminded me of um, well, we had similar yet different experience with our father because you're seven years older than me. So essentially, I kind of grew up by myself, you know, because as I got older, you were away at school. But um, I remember, particularly when I was in. Um, elementary school our school was three blocks well my school was three blocks from our house but he would not let me walk to school he would drive me to school and pick me up every day I think at some point he did relax that a little bit but I remember um, always feeling like I had to apologize because I had a father in the home which is my blowing you know, when you think about it, um, you know, I had, and I wouldn't even consider these individuals to be friends, but people who would tease me and pick on me simply because my father was present, because he would come to the school. If there was ever an issue, he was at the school, you know, and <clears throat> I know he used to tell me, you know, those people wish they had a daddy like yours. Um, mm -hmm. But that kind of followed me, I felt like, throughout um, my lifetime where either I had to always feel like I had to be apologetic because of what I had or the experience that I had, which is really an unfortunate. Um, but even when I look at my parenting, my children even tell me sometimes that I am like our father um, because I'm serious. Um, I have to be in a certain type of mood to, uh, be, you know, to joke or laugh or what have you, because I think I recognize the seriousness of raising children as well. Like, you know, you want the best um, for your children. And so I know that that is something that was definitely um, instilled. And he used to always 
like you said, everything was a teachable moment. No matter what it was, there was going to be a lesson um, that we had to learn along the way. Um, so, I think, I think and, and to your point of your experience that was different than mine, I believe that it was really a beginning of a shift in time as well in our community. Um, because growing up in our neighborhood, it was, um, it was, it was a lot of families there, you know? Um, and I think in, in my age range, everyone either had a father or had a relationship with their father, unless they were deceased. I'll mm -hmm. say that we were fortunate in that area, as you know, there were probably in that block or two radius within two years of each other, they were probably like 15 or 20 of us. And so um, in, in my group, we grew up um, a little bit different. And I think that he was always seen as a serious and, and, and a protective kind of thing, you know. Um, and as far as, and you're right, we both, I think, display um, a lot of attributes like uh, like our father. I mean, my parent. I mean, my children are, are the same way. You know, they know uh, they have to gauge my mood and the subject and this and that. You know, our mother. You know, you know how many times have I heard you act just like your father? You know, so mm -hmm. it's. Um, but I think what it underscores, and you know, this will bring back a memory for you. You know. Um, the importance of just trying to save you some time. That's what he used to always tell us. <laughs> right. I just want to save you some time, you know? Yeah. And um, and as an adult and as a parent, you recognize how much time, um, not only that you've wasted, but how easy it is to waste time and not really know it. Mm -hmm. And when you understand the concept of time, that's what you're drilling into your children. And even though mine are what um, 20, 21 and 24 respectively, you know, I, I still, I was having a conversation with one the other day and I was like, look, is that what kind of father would I be if I didn't give you my all or share my perspective of life and my experiences? And I realized that sometimes you have to deal with things on your own, but as you can attest, especially as you get older, um, our children don't have the privilege of always recovering from poor decisions and mistakes. And the older you are when you make poor decisions, the greater the impact, the consequence. And so, you know, parenting doesn't stop. You know, it may take a different form of communication, but the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us that lazy parents create lazy children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to be charged with that. I think one of the things in being a Muslim follower of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the blessing that I think that you and I had in being raised the way we were is that there's a standard. Um, there's a standard of measurement that we hold ourselves accountable to regardless of what else is going on in the world. You know, I like for my children to reflect and think that they didn't want for much, uh, that they were taught and prepared for the future. I wouldn't want them to feel that they were unprepared. And so, um, but I have to live 
with the effort that I give as a father. And regardless of who might do things differently, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I have to own that piece of consciousness of what I do and what I give. Absolutely. Um, now I'm just curious to know, um, I guess we can talk about this, you know, for the last almost a year, you've, um, you know, you've stepped up and you have been hosting uh, the various shows, the Manir Muhammad show, Muhammad and Friends. Um, how has that been for you to have to assume that role? Because we all know that <clears throat> it is, um, I guess, heavy shoes to try to fill, but it had to be well, done. It, yeah, I, I think it's, um, there, there are layers to that. Um, and it, it invokes a lot of different emotions. I think I'll start off by saying that um, my father, our father and I talked a lot. Um, he used to share with me some of the things that he was feeling as he went about doing uh, this work, hosted the shows, being a co-founder, just relationships and just things in general, because everything was a teachable and shareable moment. And so, I had the privilege of having uh, insight as, um, as, and I wouldn't say seeking counseling because in many cases he had already uh, made the decision or the action. <laughs> he was just mm -hmm. talking about it later, you know, mm -hmm. and we, 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 you know, got different, had different perspectives on things. So um, in one layer for me, it was almost therapeutic. I don't, it's a way that I feel very close to him, um, not only in honoring him, but just uh, his presence by continuing that legacy, by um, um, doing this work, by um, reflecting upon all the things that he taught me and getting to see all the people that he impacted. So sitting in that chair and continuing in that work is great for me because it keeps me feeling very close and connected uh, to him and it helps um, me in that way. However, I think the more challenging side is that I'm constantly reminded of the challenges and that he faced and the things that he carried and I wouldn't call them burden but the weight of his responsibilities and interactions with, whether it's personalities or um, his vision in comparison to everyone else's and how to navigate. Uh, the balance of loving your people and encouraging them, even if their focus uh, isn't where you think it should be or on the right things. And so in that position, I reflect upon uh, the weight of his responsibility and the things he shared and experienced them in smaller degrees at this point. Um, and so that um, sometimes could be uh, frustrating. That could be, um, that could be sad in many ways um, because, you know, it's a thing that you I reflect upon those conversations and I'm like, okay, even though the 
um, advice or things that I shared to him to pick him up, I have to keep that in mind for myself. And as we know, sometimes it's better or easier to give advice or share things uh, to someone else than it is to, you know, to apply it to yourself. And so it creates a lot of different uh, feelings, um, but it's an honor. Um, I'm motivated by it. It gives me a drive that um, is insatiable in terms of making sure that um, I do what I'm supposed to do in that vein. But at the same time, Regina, I'll, I'll tell you, it can be sad because in doing it for almost a year, and he, this was his life for, you know, at least 30, you know? And so it's like, well, it gives perspective as to uh, the magnitude of the responsibility. Um, so, whereas I'm, I'm uh, excited, I'm, I'm honored, um, it, it keeps me feeling close to him. It also gives me an even greater appreciation for uh, what he lived with, what um, his responsibility was and how he executed it. I think for me, although I have similar attributes to our father, um, the important thing is to do things and develop things as for who I am. You know, I've never tried to emulate and be our father exactly because he taught us, you know, uh, to, uh, to be ourselves, but of course, to model, of course, the right behaviors or the things that work. And so I believe for me, it has been um, a constant thing of finding my niche in things and establishing relationships and really trying to build off of what um, of what he he left us. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it's um, I, I just have to say, you know, I've said this before that I commend you for um, taking on that responsibility because it is definitely. Um, it, it's it's a great um, deal of responsibility to have to take on and, you know, having to always be there because the show must go on. Like there's no time to sit back and wallow in self-pity or anything of that nature because, and that's something that he wouldn't do um, either. You know, no matter <laughs> what was going on personally, he was still going to be at the studio or still be at Crow, right. you know. You know, I think that that his his presence and example more than anything uh, it is also a driver in that, and it it would mess with your conscience if you you know better, um, and and you know this story. You know, our father passed away on July 9th, and that was a Tuesday, and you know while we were in the hospital, there was Mandine and I who's uh, a brother uh, to us all. Um, it's just like, brother, we got to do the live show tomorrow mm -hmm. because, you know, I didn't care what happened. You know, it was virtually impossible for for our father not to do his show, you know. Right. And I felt like, man, he would be uh, disappointed if we didn't. And I did not want 
unfortunately, you know, we had um, family members posting things and doing things without regard to what we wanted to announce and share. And I didn't want that to get out. I knew its impact. And I wanted to make sure that we showed the strength and resiliency uh, to move forward, just as the Honorable, Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad departed the day before Savior's Day, you know, and, and um, they went on with the program. Mm -hmm. And I felt that if we had the strength and resiliency to do that live call-in show one day after his passing, which would be the most difficult one, that we would have the wherewithal to continue with all those that came after us. And so in doing that, it was not only to honor him, but to show our strength and resiliency and make sure that our people had the confidence that, you know, we're going to continue with this fight. And I say that because if it were not for his example, if it was not for what he instilled in us and who he was, you know, some schools of thought might have been like, hey, let's just not do the show and postpone it. Let's do that, you know. Uh, but that never even crossed our mind. And I think, again, that's a greater testimony to him than probably any of us because we were clear on what he would have wanted. And I think that, again, gives you the strength. You know, he, he was not, you know, a person for excuses, you know. <laughs> there were reasons for things, but certainly not excuses. And so um, it, it just, you know, gives you the perspective, you and I and those who are affected by them. You, you felt petty, even if you had legitimate reasons for things, you know. Uh, but you were like, man, I know he's not going to accept this or, you know, how it's going to be. And it, it, puts you in the mind of how to get things done, keeps you results oriented because there'll always be obstacles or challenges and why we can't do something. Hell, we're black people in America. Right. And so, um, however, you know, um, he instills in you a way to get the job done and not to shy away from those challenges. And that is something that I've hoped, I hope that I've passed on uh, to my children as well. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was just thinking about how um, people say to me that I'm always busy or always running or doing something that I don't rest. And as you know, I just had surgery a couple of days ago. And that was probably, this has probably been the most rest that I've gotten in a very long time because I, you know, am limited with my mobility. But when I think about it, that's, I probably got that from him because, you know, I view people who aren't uh, <laughs> doing any type of work or don't have a purpose, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, I have to question, you know, are they really, are they lazy? What, you know, <laughs> I hate to yeah. say that, but I just, we, I think we just have a different type of drive because there's always something to do. It, it is. There's always something to do, always something uh, to work on, to better yourself or to serve. Um, and I think really uh, the only time we rest is when our body makes us. It's like if we're sick, 
you know, and then it has to be really, really sick, you know, and that's just if you just stand in the bed that day or two or around. But um, it's, it's hard to shut down and, uh, and, and not feel unproductive. And my friends, we laugh because even if I call myself trying to go out of town or take a vacation, just leisure, usually after a day, maybe two days at the most, I feel like I'm wasted. I'll get bored, you know. Uh, you know, I'm like, okay, I could be doing X, Y, Z, or I need to be doing this and that. And so my mind is racist, so I wouldn't enjoy it much anyway. And and that's just the reality of it. Um, you want to make an impact while you're here. Um, there's always something uh, based on uh, where we are, whether it's individually, our families, or as a community. There's always opportunity. And, you know, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad said that, you know, heaven is an erasing place, you know, because when you get to heaven, it's when you start working. And I'd like to think that with the knowledge that we have, the blessings that's been bestowed upon us, that it makes you want to be productive. Um, it makes you want to do things. Of course, we need to let our bodies get the proper amount of rest, but even, you know, if you try to get into bed, your mind is racing about the things you want to do or need to do. And so that impacts you as well. Um, I was telling someone, I, I don't know how to turn my mind, my brain off. You know, they, I know people do uh, meditation and yoga and those things. Um, and all praises due to Allah. It's just been more of a challenge to me to find that. I um, remember one of my uh, doctors was telling me, you need to find something to do for fun or a hobby. What do you like to do? I'm like, I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. You know, and I think mm -hmm. when you have a family, uh, you know, most of your life is about your family. Uh, the thought of you as an individual and your preferences really uh go down the list on the totem pole of priorities <laughs> so you know um, it's hard to really uh say what you enjoy and i know in this age of course of where we are now you know people will frown upon that and uh, we have a more a society that promotes more individual pleasure and happiness over sacrifice over responsibility and um that's just not necessarily how I was raised, I think that you could have both. I get great pleasure out of knowing that my family, uh, my children are secured. Um, they don't have to wonder, they have not had to wonder or suffer the um, things that others may have experienced. And I think that's a blessing, but I know it's a result of hard work. You know, I know it's a result of doing whatever needs to be done is showing the resiliency and focus to do it in spite of what others think. And, you know, that's, that's just a blessing. I remember being younger when I was, when my children were younger. And of course I was too, uh, my oldest, we were talking and I let them know quite candidly. I was like, son, if you grow up uh, to resent me and how you were raised, chances are I resent, you know, the person you grew up to be. You know, because um, I, I really, I really understand the magnitude of it. And then as someone, you know, 
and now, um, Agena, whether you have sons or daughters, it's equally as dangerous, you know. Mm -hmm. um, your sons, of course, you, you worry about not only how they're perceived and, and treated, but the uh, they don't get the benefit of the doubt. Our children, our, our male children in particular, are looked at as, as, uh, as, as criminals, as menacing and threatening off the bat. And then for our, our young ladies who, um, and our daughters who uh, still, you know, they've grown up, whether they're independent or not, um, um, if they're blessed enough to be sheltered, they might be a little naive. That even goes for our, our sons. But the concept of family is, is, is not a priority. Um, you know, we know that our children grow up, they may want to uh, date and, and have other people. And, and you know, um, these relationships, the seriousness of what it takes, um, you know, that, that concerns me. Like I would tell my daughter, friends, I was like, well, you, you know, you're dating both of us. <laughs> so <laughs> in this day and age, you know, with the conscious, you have to know who your children are with what they're doing not to be all in their business but as you know we have a, a friend by the name of uh, Chantanelle Howard a close friend of mine she's been on the show um, whose daughter went missing would be five years on my birth anniversary in August mm -hmm. and you know just remembering the pain and anguish with that and she was saying that she didn't know what her daughter had on that day or where she was going and it kind of brought home to me how much we take things for granted. Okay. And uh, while I'm here, I just want to give, again, the strength of that sister who not only, you know, her daughter is still missing and it's not been found, but she lost her son, um, her son who was, I think, 23 um, a, a few weeks ago as well. And the resiliency um, and the strength that she's had to show to deal with that um, that's another aspect of parenting that lets you know that all is not uh, all is not promised. And while you have to appreciate your blessings even more, because so many of our people are forced, um, parents are forced to bury their children, and that's just seems like such an unnatural thing to have to do. Yeah, agreed, agreed, um, and definitely. Um want to keep that sister in our thoughts and uh, prayers and hopefully um, her daughter will be found. I just couldn't even imagine um, having to go through that. And, uh, you know, it, it reminds me of how with my children who are teenagers, whenever they ask to go someplace, they know they can't just walk out the house. I need to know who they're going to be with. Um, I need to know the background of the parents or families that they're going to be around. It's a whole series of questions. And then I'm also verifying that that's where you say you're going to be. And I try to tell them, like, it's, it's dangerous out here. You know, we've raised our children in uh, the suburbs, but that doesn't make them exempt from any of the dangers um, that are out there. And... Um, you know, I remember I couldn't leave the block 
when we were growing up, I, there was no walk into the candy store unless I snuck to go on my way to school. But, um, and that's where I see where I, um, some people may call it overprotective, but you know, you want to protect what's yours and make sure that nothing happens um, to them. And I know um, my daughter Aaliyah will say to me um, that although she may not like the fact that she can't just go wherever she wants to go, but she appreciates the fact that I'm concerned because she has friends who parents just allow them to do whatever they want to do. So at least I know that although they may not like my parenting style in some ways, that they do understand why I parent the way I do. Yeah, and that's what you hope. I think, uh, you know, uh, children's likes are a little bit over, overrated. I mean, I got to re realize that, you know, when we're young, you know, we, we, we did things. And as a young person, you always think that you're smarter than what you really are. And, uh, you know, you don't always understand the dangers of things. And that's why we can't be overly emotional when dealing with our children, you know, um, or for, for either side. That's why balance is, is required. But more importantly, um, discipline. You, you can't have, and I say discipline, I mean that they, you, we have to instill in them to have the discipline to fight against the urges or impulses that might be um, that they might have to do other than righteousness or make poor decisions. Um, and you you want to be in the in in the back of their heads sometimes when they're uh, posed with situations. You know, you want to be that voice in their ear because if they go on impulse or they go just because their friends did it because of peer pressure and things like that, you know, it, it, it could lead to um, an undesirable outcome. And, you know, so discipline um, is, is important in teaching them the confidence uh, to be independent, the confidence to be able to function off of their standard of belief and their rules and guidelines um, as opposed to others. Because that's the excuse we get. I know one of my children, every time, every time uh, they were in trouble and the thing was, they were always with somebody else. And uh, the, the, the allegation was that it was always someone else. And I was like, well, you know, if you with them there, that's your poor decision. You know, the first time, Maybe first two times it might be something, but shit, you know, all the time that becomes a problem. That's on you. Um, and so I think all of these factors, and I know with you, you're um, and and you're probably one of the most involved and engaged parents, um, not only from an education, uh, but from a, a cultural, um, a balance, and try have tried to provide your children with everything that they could possibly need uh, to occupy them in a, in a positive way and to, to have them focus. And we know that no matter what, when children get to a certain point, they're gonna have their, their rebellious nature come out in terms of their struggle for identity and independence as they grow to who they're gonna be. Um, but you, you just give them enough uh, to hopefully to weather that storm 
and who they desire to be is in alignment with uh, what has been instilled in them, you know, from the very beginning. Right, right. So one question that I'd like to ask um, you, because um, in terms of um, the importance of fatherhood and, um, and fathers being involved in their children's lives, you know, in this country, the divorce rate is well over 50%. I fall into that category now. Um, what, and, and for us, I think we saw examples with not only our parents who were married nearly 49 years, but aunts and uncles, um, or uncles, I should say, who are still, uh, you know, who remain married. Um, what advice, I know you've been married for about 25 years now, but what advice um, would you give to um, Black men who um, either are now divorced, no longer with, you know, their children's mother or what have you, in terms of maintaining their involvement in their children's lives? Because if you allow media to portray it, it seems as if one would think that Black men are not involved when in actuality, they really are. Like when you go back and, and look at or dig deeper, but what advice would you give um, to fathers about the importance of remaining in their children's lives and being active? Well, I, I think it's important and it has to, but it has to be important enough to them to move beyond how they may feel emotionally. And I think that's the key because many times when there's a lack of involvement, it's based on the relationship with the mother or the partner, you know, um, and whatever feelings or uh, that are invoked there have an impact on it. And you have to be mature enough or resilient enough, both sides to put the children's needs above that. Um, because even though we're quite capable of functioning from an X and O's perspective as individuals, that balance that's needed um, and that support is, is not only excellent for the children, but for the father and the parent as well. Because sometimes when you're looking to pour something into a child and invest and share, it makes you be better because you have to have something to give. Mm -hmm. And when you remove that extension, that example, that, that life, cause you know, there's, there's nothing like when you go back to a child being born, the innocence and potential that we all see in that life. And so, you know, if for whatever circumstances don't allow you to be with the child full time or in the home or whatever the relationship dictates, uh, you have to be strong enough to make sure that your presence is there. Um, but it requires reinforcement on both ends because, you know, if you're seeing them once a week, once a month, every two weeks, that does not mean that you don't communicate. Um, now you have texts, you have phone calls, and uh, just to let somebody know that you're thinking about it and just being accessible because it's not 
always about your finances. It's about your time. It's about your interest. Because at the end of the day, everyone wants to uh, feel wanted. Everyone wants to feel important or prioritized to an extent. And if a child does not feel that, especially from their father, then that void um, could manifest itself in many ways. And as men, a lot of times I know they wait, well, when the child, when a child is older, they'll understand and we can rekindle the relationship there. But the impact, uh, the experiences that are taking place while that child is growing up is what shapes them. And, you know, we know that in our community, the, the trauma, both diagnosed and undiagnosed is real. Mm -hmm. And just think if it's hard, for adults to function as individuals, what do you think it's like for a child to function with either no parent or uninvolved parents or one less parent? Um, and so I think that we have to always remember, and I would say to any father, to remember that um, if you are blessed enough to experience and live life long enough to be a father, then it is our responsibility to pour into our children, to invest in them in the same way. And, you know, I know many, many fathers, you know, don't have that example. They grew up fatherless. And so they may not know what that looks like. They may not have been taught. They may not have been instilled in them. But all of us know what it's like to feel like we're not appreciated, like we're not valued, like we're not being treated fairly. Mm -hmm. And so we have to understand that that young developing mind that's dealing with all the things that they are dealing with at an age when they really shouldn't have to, that we need to understand and to make sure that they don't feel alone. They don't feel undervalued by the very parents that produced them. Well, I think that's uh, excellent advice. Hopefully, uh, you know, people who are listening will take take that advice in the manner which has been given. Um, I watched a, I have some friends who, um, they live in Minneapolis. Um, two of them established uh, this group called, or organization called Positive Images. And it's all about, so they um, host an annual father-daughter dance, mother-son dance. They do back to school um, activities and then they always do like a Father's Day cookout or something along those lines. But earlier this week, they um, had a, a panel discussion with three other um, men in the group, and they were talking about fatherhood and lessons learned. Um, and, and someone mentioned, and it actually struck a chord, um, because they said that they don't have any friends who are um, who are not involved fathers? You know? So they surround themselves by like-minded individuals, and I often wonder about um, you know, and we could say mothers and fathers, but I often wonder about those parents who are not um, as involved as as they should be or could be, and will use you know the excuse about not you know, being in a good place with the other parent. But I often wonder, do their friends or family members ever pull them by the coattail and say, you know, you can't allow that situation 
um, to prevent you from having a relationship with your children. And I think two things with that. Let me, let me add on. And, and you're right. And it probably depends. They probably don't have as many family members or friends that do it as they should. Mm -hmm. But look at the times that we're in. Um, you know, quite frankly, the return on investment from being a parent isn't what it should be. You know, I mean, in many cases, you know, it's, it could be a very thankless <laughs> right. thing and you could feel undervalued and underappreciated. And so I think, especially if you're not in the home with the child, mm -hmm. you feel you may not be needed or you may question your value or contribution. But again, that goes with where we are in society of thinking of ourselves as individuals and our feelings as opposed to what's in the best interest of the child. And to your point, many people don't call people on that because we don't want to offend. We don't want to overstep boundaries. You know, we know that the relationship has been challenging or difficult for, for them with the parent. And so we're not trying to open that can of worms and we absolve them of the responsibility that we have based on our own personal emotional state. But you hear um, people talk about all the time, I die for my children, I do anything for my children. If you die for your children, do anything for your children, then you'll put their needs above your own feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's the way we have to break things down sometimes logically and systematically to kind of paint that picture of how we have to prioritize. But I think to your point, this is where we are in society of worrying about our personal feelings and what's in it for me versus the responsibility versus the commitment that we have to that young life. What do you think? Cause you know, um, when we were growing up because our parents are baby boomers, just, you know, there was, there was a village. Everybody was involved in, in some way, shape or form in the upbringing of, um, you know, children. What do you think happened in our society where, you know, people turn a blind eye or don't want to overstep boundaries, don't want to get involved? And do you think we will ever get back to the place where it was um, a collective in terms of um, I, I think that's, that's hard to, to do if you don't have the concept of family and community. Now, we're not going to go too far. I mean, I, I know the village thing, but the average person just couldn't cuss me out and whip me or something with it being accepted. <laughs> you know, well, of course. <laughs> I know they could, they could tell, maybe. <laughs> you know, but, uh, People don't tell today either. That's what I mean. <laughs> they, they're afraid of the consequence, you know, <laughs> from the child. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I would, I would hope so, but that's more of a responsibility on the parent and what we instill and as parents, the relationships that we develop with people, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and that's it. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, you know, uh, I have neighbors on both sides and across the street. And unfortunately, I can't tell you the names of my neighbors to the left or the right of me. Mm -hmm. I, 
I know the names of the people across the street, the last name. And, uh, you know, but if they told me my children were doing something, you know, I, I would ask them about it. But <laughs> what I'm saying is that we don't, we don't know people, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's it um, as a whole. In that time, we were better at developing relationships mm -hmm. with the onset and, and, and of course the involvement of, of technology the, where we are. You know, so many things can be lost in translation as far as text. Uh, we don't talk as much. And so as a result, we don't develop cohesive and meaningful relationships. Most of our friends are people that we grew up with, you know, right. uh, are formed out of longevity or some kind of experience in anything when we meet or develop with. So I would hope that, but, you know, and maybe where we are now as a community um, with this newfound uh, or heightened desire um, to love self and community can build on that. But if you look at even the divisiveness within our community and social media, I, I think really, once they, if they shut down social media, maybe we could get there. <laughs> but you know, well, that um, won't happen, <laughs> right? So, but you know, it, it's something that we we need to do. But it starts with really developing relationships again. And we had communities uh, on our own where we would uh, participate and clean up and, and and cared about our property. And not that we don't do it now, but there's so much fear of just being outside. There's so much disrespect on all sides and we have to begin to respect one another and build relationships with one another to make that happen. Yeah, I think that's very important. I know um, in the subdivision that I previously lived in, I knew all of my neighbors, you know, it was just, and I really loved being in that neighborhood because everybody spoke to each other. If there was a, one family was having a barbecue, then the entire side of the street was invited. And now where I live now, I wave, but well, I don't know the neighbor's name we, either. We wave and blow the horn, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, uh, but it, it definitely doesn't feel like a sense of community where I am now, um, opposed to where I was previously. So that is definitely something that I miss. Um, but, you know, hopefully with this momentum that we have right now, hopefully it will be long term and we can get back to a sense of um, community. But um, I know that you have a busy day ahead. And um, so I want to thank you for taking time to um, talk about fatherhood and parenting. Do you have any closing remarks that you'd like to make? I'd just like to encourage all of our people to um, look at the sense of responsibility in terms of a family and family extends to all that you love and that are connected to you. It doesn't have to be biological, but we have to learn to care for one another. And especially since Father's Day is upon us, you know, um, as black men, it is our responsibility to protect and elevate um, not only our black woman, but our black family. And just because our sisters are able to take on additional responsibilities, in no means should they be on the front line of having to do so when they're capable men 
in their lives and in our community. And that's the message. And, you know, I do not want what's taking place to become a cliche or a fad in terms of awareness. And it's okay to say that Black lives matter. But remember, freedom, justice, and equality gives us the complete picture as well. And so we can't just stop there. We can't stop with police reform. It's about the total liberation of our people. And that's the message that I'd like to convey. In addition to thanking you and wishing you continued success um, with this podcast and all of your endeavors, um, the quality of it, the guests you're having, um, it's impactful and it's beneficial. And I just uh, want you to uh, keep up the good work. I appreciate that. And we also have to get a plug in for the show. Yes. So oh, we, Yes, we um, air um, Muhammad and Friends. We stream live on um, Facebook and YouTube and our website at uh, www.croe.org. We stream live on Sundays at 2.30 Central and on Wednesday evenings at 6 o'clock. And if you're in Chicago, we come on Monday through Saturday, actually, on Channel 25 in Chicago at 1 p.m. and 6 p.m. And if you're in the south suburbs, we come on Channel 19, I believe, on Mondays and you uh, have Sundays, but I know on Mondays, definitely at 7 p.m. Got it. Okay, so everybody make sure you tune in, follow um, Crow TV on Facebook, on all social media platforms, and make sure you subscribe so that you will receive the notifications for the upcoming shows. So thank you. It's been a pleasure yes, having you on, and hopefully you come back again soon. Yes, ma'am. All right. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Take care. Thanks for joining me this week on Light It Up. Make sure you visit my website at www.lightituppodcast.com or www.ajinamohammed.com. You can also find me on social media using the handle at Light It Up Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or you can simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next time, light it up and shine bright like a diamond.